We're learning the Maimer Maimer Rabim. Let's just review. What are the Maimer Rabim? What does it literally mean, Maimer Rabim? We'll literally translate it first. Yeah, lots of waters. Okay. And then, symbolically, what are they representing? Tirda Sopranasa. Very good. That's the technical Hebrew term for it. And say it in plain English. Financial stress. Okay, fine. So, the novel point that emerges so far in this mimer is that although we might think that these types of stresses distract us from our spirituality, and therefore we would be better off if we didn't have them. We are informed of this novel point that actually they evoke or elicit an even greater love of Hashem. And so in a certain way, they, um, they have their function. They have their advantage. And in fact, we came down to this world from our lofty source in the spiritual realms in order to have this experience. And that the net gain in greater love of Hashem that the soul is able to pick up from going through these challenges is really actually the whole purpose for which the soul came down to this world. In other words, up in heaven, of course, the soul loves Hashem. But down here, it ends up loving Hashem even more after going through the the challenges. Now, we explained a little bit the Kabbalistic mechanics of that, um, and that's going to be important as we set up what we're about to study today in, you know what chapter of the Mimer we're on? Five. Five. Okay, and how many chapters total in the Mimer? Six. Okay, so we're almost done, but today's a heavy chapter. It's not that long, but it's, it's heavy, conceptually. So, if you remember, we said last week that we were speaking about a little bit the mechanics of it, and it has to do with levels of sources. So we said it's surprising that the Maim Rabim don't extinguish the soul's love of Hashem, because after all, we know the Maim Rabim come from Toihu, that lofty source that we explained last week at length as being the entropy which preceded creation as we know it. It's a very lofty source, very powerful spiritual energy. So you might think, in fact, the more you understand that, the, the more you would think that the Maim Rabim are going to overtake the soul's love of Hashem. Uh, because the soul is, on, on, uh, is, is from a lower source. The soul is from Tikkun, not Toihu. It's from the, uh, it's from the structured world, the world that was made after the, the world of Toyhu failed. And yet, what we, what we find out is, well, actually, yeah, there's a higher source even than that of the soul. The soul really ultimately comes from Atmos, Hashem's essence. And being that it comes from Hashem's essence, there's no, there's no level higher than that. And that's why even the Maim Rabin, which come from Toyo, which is indeed a very high level, cannot overtake the soul because the soul ultimately is from the highest level. Remember that? More or less? Sounds vaguely familiar? Yeah? Okay. This is important for today. Because, uh, oh, and also just I'll add one more thing. Remember last week we said, 
up in heaven, the soul is like a tzaddik. Down here, it gets to become a balchuva. And being a balchuva is a higher level than a tzaddik, like it says, in the place where the penitents stand, the perfectly righteous cannot stand. Okay. So that sets us up for this chapter, which, as I said, is a, it's a heavy chapter. Chapter 5. Vihine Shashirish Hanishamashu we established previously that the source, the true source, of the godly soul is in the essence of God, which is higher than all revelations. What does it mean, higher than all revelations? Okay, basic Hasidic concepts. Atzim and Giloyim. Etzim means the essence, what it actually is. Gluyim means the revelations, but probably easier to understand it, the expressions, how it expresses itself, the manifestations. So the gluyim are various manifestations of the thing. Etzim is the thing. Creation is a manifestation of Hashem. So even the highest level of creation is an emanation or a manifestation or an expression Atzmus, the essence of Hashem, is higher than any expression. It's sort of like, you know, there's the way that I communicate, and then there's just me. In fact, even deeper than how I even communicate to myself when I'm talking to myself in my own head, there's just me. Without any, without any expression of it, even to myself. That's my essence. So we, we just said that the source of the godly soul is the essence that's higher than all manifestations, meaning higher than any level of creation. Okay? No problem. Ukedemuchach gam, as is proved, uh, is, is evidenced, or proven, he says in parentheses, gam, also, memasha amrurazal, meaning there are other proofs as well, but this is one proof. What our sages say, With whom did he consult? With the souls of the righteous. Okay. How do we see that the soul is from the highest level, a level that precedes all revelation? We see it in a lot of ways, but one clear way, and this is the way that I is mentioning here, is a story that is described in Medrash, actually Medrash Rabbah, Breshis Rabbah. I think it's in the first chapter, actually. It may be second chapter. Breshis Rabbah, early in the beginning of the Medrash. Um, and it says over there that before creating, Hashem consulted Nishmaisem Shel Tzadikim, the souls of the righteous. Before creating, Hashem asked the souls of the righteous, should we do this? Okay. So, the Rebbe says this is a proof of something. <coughs> That's what that word, as is proven, or as is evidenced. This proves that the source of the soul is higher than all manifestations because Hashem was consulting the soul before 
he proceeded to create and issue forth these manifestations. So clearly the soul was around before any of these manifestations. Meaning the soul is not just another expression of God. The soul is there along with God himself. And there can't really be anything along with God himself. God forbid, that's a duality. So what we're really saying, it's synonymous with God himself. And yeah, this is, I told you, heavy stuff. And so the soul is not like a part of creation, even a lofty, lofty, lofty part of creation. The soul uniquely is part of the creator. Because it's there before the creator even creates. As is evidenced from the discussion Hashem is having with the soul, should we create? He hasn't created yet. So when it says Hashem consulted with Tzadikim, he's really consulting with the souls? Is that like synonymous? Well, the words is Nishmoi Sehem Shel Tzadikim, the souls of the righteous. The souls of the righteous. Obviously, we're talking about souls. We're talking about spiritual entities. Because nothing has been created yet. Oh, well, that's a good question. Nishmasim shal tzaddikim, oh, it sounds like only certain souls. So, there's a verse from the prophets, v'amech kulam tzaddikim, your nation is entirely made of tzaddikim. The Rebbe is into that verse. Um, listen, when we're talking about a tzaddik here, um, we already established in the previous chapter that all souls up in heaven are tzaddikim. So we're talking about all souls. It's not an exclusive term. It's a descriptive term. Yeah. You're talking about all Jewish souls or all... Okay, so when we're using the word soul, that's an English word. So I'm going to use the word neshama, which specifically is talking about Jewish spirituality. Okay. There is a soul that enlivens every human being, and there's a soul indeed that enlivens every living thing, and even non-living things. There's actually a soul in, in rocks, and in, in, in water, and everything has an, an energy, and it ultimately is an expression of godliness. But we're talking about specifically here the, the Jewish people. So Hashem is consulting with Nishmei Seim Shel Tzadikim about creation. She'inyin ha'amlochu hu gam al ha'gluyim ha'chinailim. And this consultation, quote-unquote consultation, whatever that means, actually we're going to explain later in this chapter what the consultation actually means. But this consultation is about whether or not to proceed with even the highest revelations, because this takes place before any revelation. So clearly these souls are around before even the highest revelations. And the Rebbe mentions parenthetically, because this is all willfully done and not a compulsion. It's important to establish, because there are those who will say that Hashem is so infinite he can't hold back from creating. That is not what we say. We say that even the highest manifestations are deliberate 
Nothing compels Hashem to express Himself. It is His choice to do so. And therefore, even on the highest levels of divine manifestation, we're talking about worlds beyond what we even fathom as being worlds. None of that happened automatically. That was something that Hashem chose to do. And if there's a consultation happening, it's happening at that level before he's begun to issue forth even the highest manifestations. Yeah. This consultation happened before any, like Hashem created worlds a few times. This is talking about before... Before any worlds, even the worlds that didn't work out, which we referred to a couple weeks ago as the, the, the Toihu Project. Yeah, of course, this is before all of that, before everything. Before everything. Before even the highest level in the process. Okay. Harei muvan shahanishomus shabahen nimloch hein lamayla mekolegloyim. It is therefore understood that the souls with which Hashem consulted must be higher than any type of revelation or manifestation. This is what we're saying when we say the souls are rooted in the, the essence of Hashem. We mean prior to any expression of Hashem. Just Hashem as He is, not as He does, so to speak. Deep stuff. It's very abstract, yeah. Is this almost like Hashem's thought process that we're... Hashem's thought process? Yeah, you could call it that. Not how to go about. That, that's later. Should I even go about it? Okay. Makol mokim shayich loimar. And nevertheless, here's the bombshell. It is possible to say that through tshuva, not only it's possible to say, last week when we studied chapter 4 we did say this, that through tshuva, through descending down below here to the physical plane, nice is born aliyah, it brings about an elevation in the soul. Even higher than the level of its source. Stop. Hold the presses. Let's analyze this. How, do we, how, do, how are these both true? On one hand, we're saying, the reason that the... Remember, Mayim Rabbim is the name of the Mayim The reason that the Mayim Rabbim cannot, cannot overtake the soul, cannot extinguish its love for God, is because as highly rooted as the Mayim Rabbim are in, in Toihu, the soul is rooted even higher. It's from Atmos. That's one thing we said. But then we also said that by coming down here and having an embodiment experience and having its love challenged or threatened, the soul ends up coming to a higher level than where it started. And we call that becoming a Balchova instead of a Tzaddik. Higher level than where it started? What's a higher level? There is no higher level. We've just established that we're talking about the essence that precedes all manifestations. If you were talking about a level within manifestation, 
then there are higher levels of manifestation, meaning closer and closer to the source. But this is the source. You see the problem? And higher level of what? Yeah, higher level of what? I don't know. We're saying, well, the love was the main symptom that we spoke about last week. We said that when the soul has an aliyah, the main symptom of that, or at least the one we're concerned with here, is that it will have an even greater love of Hashem than it had before. But what's the, 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 the basic phenomenon that we were alluding to last week was the aliyah of the neshama, the soul having an elevation. But how can it have an elevation if it's already at the highest level. Did tshuva precede all of creation? <clears throat> Did tshuva precede all of creation? Um, and where are, you, where are you headed with this? Is that why the soul can reach higher through tshuva because it became, it was, it was around before? The concept of tshuva? Maybe that even makes the question even more complicated because then what's it gaining through the embodiment experience if all this stuff was around before? Because it's not experiencing. Coming into this world and going through the Shubhra process. So you're saying the experience. Yeah, it's like here for the experience. Like we said that the older Nishamas, before they come to this world, they're all on the level of Tzadikim. Yeah. So to come here... On above tuba level, and to go through the whole tuba process, and to have the process, the experience. So okay. Well, you, you know, let's let's clarify that because I did speak about that last week, but I think I could um, clarify it a little bit more. And in fact, I noticed in the YouTube comments. And by the way, some people ask some good questions in the YouTube. So if you're watching online, you want to write a question, go ahead. Um, someone a actually asked this about. The, the soul's elevation of, as opposed to rectification. So, just to clarify, the soul does come to the world for tikkun, for a rectification, but not of itself. The soul is perfect. The soul comes to rectify the world, to heal the world. What the soul gains for itself from embodiment is not rectification because you can't fix perfection. What it gains is an aliyah, an elevation. So it's already perfect, but it can go to a higher level. And indeed it does. But this is what we're trying to wrap our heads around here because we posited a claim in this mimer that the soul ultimately is able to prevail over all of its challenges because it comes from Hashem's source, higher than all revelation. How do we reconcile that with another claim that we made that the soul experiences elevation from embodiment? How do you elevate higher than the highest level? That's what we're trying to figure out here. Okay. The Yuvanze. This will be understood. Alpimasha Kosovarava Magid. Based on something the Magid taught. The Magid was the chief disciple and successor of the Baal Shem Tov. Bepirish Merazal 
Yisrael Olu B'Machshava. He explains a uh, saying of our sages. It's also from Medrash. Actually, this is from Bereshus Rabbah. Sadikim is actually from Rus Rabbah. I want to correct that. Yeah, they're both from Medrash Rabbah, but the consultation with the souls is actually a Medrash from uh, Rus Rabba, Ruth Rabbah, and it's actually an exegetical interpretation of a verse from Chronicles, from Divrei Yamin. Okay, but this. This concept here is from Medrash Rabba, uh, from Bereshus Rabba. Yeah. Yisrael Oluba Machshava. That the Jewish people arose, that's literally the word, Allah's rose up in his thought. And we, we sort of have that idiom in English as well. We'll have the, we'll say, you know, something, it, 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 do we say that? It arose to my thought? Maybe we don't say that, but. We definitely, in rabbinic idiom, will say, Allah b'machshava, it arose to his thought. A thought came up. So we say, the thought of the Jewish people came to his mind. When, when we talk, we're talking about before creation. We're talking about before creation. And the Magad explained that Madrash, and he said like this, Shehu kemashal adam sheyesh ben. How do you explain what that Midrashic expression is describing? The Magid said, well, think about it like this, metaphorically. There's a, there's a, a person has a son. Even after the son leaves the father and goes about his way. Nevertheless, the image of the father is engraved in the thought of the image of the son is engraved in the thought of the father. This is before photos. You know, the Magid lived in the 1700s, so this is before they had photographs. Now you just open up your iPhone and say, "Look at a picture of my son." But imagine somebody—they say goodbye to their son. They're not going to see their son for a long time. But they have the image of their son emblazoned in their memory. However, obviously, in the metaphor, which is describing a human experience, so in, in human terms, this is only possible if the person already had the son. We're sort of trapped into a... Uh, a certain linear narrative of past, present, future. So the father has the son, he doesn't see the son, but then he remembers the son. These things happen sequentially in, in, the, in the metaphor, in the analogy. Uh, so he has to first have a son in order to remember what his son looked like. Aval Eitzel Hashem Yisbarich, but by Hashem... You could say even before he created his son, meaning the Jewish people, he already had the image emblazoned in his mind. So it's not limited to these, to, to these uh, past, present, future uh, limitations. But if we want to relate to, we can't relate to this idea 
any other way. So this is how we relate to it. But you have to then, when you're understanding what the analogy is actually describing, you have to sort of then free yourself from the human limitations of it and say, you know, if, just like if you have a son and then you don't see your son, but you still know what your son looks like because you've seen him in the past. Okay, so Hashem has a son and he knows what his son looks like, even though his son doesn't yet exist. He didn't create his son, but he has the image of his son. So he takes this image and then So let's find out. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're asking the right questions. Okay, we're just putting together the pieces here. So we have a, a Medrash Rus Rabbah that says that Hashem is consulting with souls before even the most lofty levels of manifestation. We have this Medrash from Bereshus Rabbah that says the image or the idea or the concept of his children rose to his mind. And the Magid says sort of like a father who pictures his child who he's seen but without the limitation of having having the child have to have been born yet. <laughs> um, yeah, so he can have this thought before the child exists. And that's what it means when the sages say the Jewish people arose to Hashem's thought. For Hashem, past and future are one thing. Yeah, that's what we mean when we say Hashem exists above time. The past and the future are, are one thing. So you can only remember things that have already been. But Hashem is not limited that way. So Hashem's continuously consulting. Well, that's true too. Everything we're describing is happening now. That's true too, yeah. So let's let's continue here. Let's see what it actually addresses this. Okay. Moving mazet. It's understood from this. This that we say that the neshames are from atzmos or from the essence of Hashem, and therefore pre-existed any manifestations, and in fact, Hashem consulted with them before creating. What is the entity that we're describing? The souls as they are in a created state. In the condition that they are when they descend below to the earthly plane. What, what we're saying here is that this is a very difficult concept to wrap our minds around. Since past and future are one. When Hashem is consulting with the neshamas, whether he should create anything, everything, he's creating with 
he's 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 consulting with the souls as they are already in their embodiment, which does not yet exist, which in fact Hashem is even questioning whether it should exist. Talk about it happening right now. It's just that this image is in his mind already. In other words, Hashem sees how his children will be as if they already are that way, and for him actually they are. And that's who he's consulting with. So when we say this image, and I want to make sure when we say image, we don't mean like imaginary. It's not a figment. It's realer than real. When Hashem is consulting with the image of his future children who do not yet exist and figuring out whether anything should exist, he's consulting with them as they are in the state that they will be in when they descend to their ultimate to, to, to the ultimate purpose of their creation, meaning the physical state. Like the goal. The goal, yeah. Like we said, that for him, past and future are one. So that's not an obstacle. As is understood, the interpretation of what does it mean with whom he consulted. What does it mean with whom he consulted? It's not a conversation that happened. It's not a dialogue. With whom he consulted means he checked in on this concept. He visited this idea. He, he examined it, and upon examining this idea, meaning the state of his children, his souls, as they are in embodiment, he said, yeah, good idea, let's go for it. So consultation doesn't mean a conversation. Consultation means he checked in on this image, this idea of the souls that would exist, but for him, it's as if they already do exist, which is how he's able to check in with them. And based on looking at what this is, he says, it's, all, it's a good plan. It's all worth it. Let's do it. Yeah. So why, why is he saying Mishmashayim Shal Tzadikim and not Mishmashayim Shal Tzadikim? Okay, okay, okay. You're asking the right question. <laughs> We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay, very good. Okay. All right, you guys are on the right track. Everyone's doing okay, right? Nobody's mind is melting. All right. Okay. Yeah. Shezehu ma That is precisely what arose before him. In other words, what he was considering. Hatainug shiyasanig kaviyachol. The pleasure that he would have, Ba Vedas and through the souls 
work down below. He's sort of running this idea through his mind, but it's not an idea. Again, it's not it's not like a, an, an abstract concept. Like when we imagine something and we have an idea for it, but then it's not really ever what we imagined. This is realer than reality. This is Hashem visiting the outcome before the process has even been initiated. It's very hard to wrap our minds around this, but Hashem is consulting with the outcome, which for him already exists, in order to decide whether or not to initiate the process which will culminate in this outcome. What makes him decide to... So we said what motivates him is he sees the tainug, the pleasure, Shishanig, that he will take pleasure, Kaviyachal, Bavedas Hanishamas Lamata, in the work the souls do down here. So it's for his pleasure. It is for his pleasure. Pleasure is the predicating force behind all creation. Without pleasure, there is no motive for creation. Pleasure is the the energy which drives all all creation and ultimately behind everything that exists there is divine pleasure but do we know what that really is do, do we know what divine pleasure is i mean we know pleasure as we know today you mean cheesecake no like even <laughs> spiritual pleasure is yeah even spiritual pleasure you're right is something that we relate to from our finite perspective um Yeah, so maybe if you want to talk about what pleasure is. Pleasure here doesn't mean distraction or, uh, you know, the way that we often use stimulus. Pleasure here actually means total presence. Like when you don't have to distract yourself. So that's what we're saying. When Hashem is totally... He's not aligned with Hashem? Com- no, when He's aligned with Himself. Oh, when he's, that's our neshama. Yes, that's our neshama. When He's totally comfortable, that is pleasure. And where does He derive, uniquely, where does He derive pleasure from? When He sees His essence come down into a world of manifestations, and in fact to the lowest level of manifestations, and overcome all of that, and choose to reunite with him. It's a love story. It's all about him. It is all about him. Of course it's all about him. He's everything, and he's the only thing that truly exists. Now, if a human being would make that claim... That would be outrageous, but it's because it's not true. A human being isn't everything and all that exists. But Hashem is everything and all that exists. Everything else is relative existence, meaning it's dependent upon Him. He is absolute existence. He just exists. And what we're saying is, interestingly, the essence of Hashem, which just exists, not like creation, even the highest levels of creation don't just exist, they exist because they were manifested. 
Hashem's essence just exists. It doesn't exist because of anything. Nothing manifested it. It is existence. What we're saying is, interestingly, <coughs> that the neshamas exist on that level. And yet, at the same time, try to hold these two thoughts, we're saying that what is the neshama on that level? It's the neshama in its final form. So the neshama exists before all manifestations, but what it is, even at that level, is the neshama after all the levels of manifestation have been put in place and the neshama has been sent down there to overcome those obstacles. The highest and the lowest at the same time. No, because then it even gets higher. Oh, very good. That's where we started this chapter from, which is, we said the soul gets even higher than that. So what's the even higher, right? These amps go to 11. Yeah, we said that. Now we can understand the Aliyah. Now we can understand the elevation. That occurs when the souls come down into embodiment. Even though before their descent they were already in Hashem's essence. So how can they go higher than the essence? He answers it. This that they exist on the level of His essence. And this that they were there to be consulted before any Creation began to occur. That is all because of Hashem's knowledge of what they will be when they finally do descend into the lowest realm and fulfill their mission. So they're there before all levels have been created. And in fact, it's His checking in with that vision of them as they will be after all levels have been created that that motivates him to create all levels and yet what is it that he's consulting with so to speak before he creates even the highest level he's consulting with what the souls will be like on the lowest level Now, he addresses another question that might come up. Although, even before this all happens, Hashem knows with absolute certainty that it's going to happen. He knows that they will fulfill their purpose. That's in potential. The, the, the ultimate purpose and ascent, or the ultimate ascent and purpose, is actuality. Meaning, as we were alluding to earlier, somebody actually even said it. Who, who was saying the word the process? To have the process. Like, for Hashem, the end goal is as good as already having been accomplished. 
but he wants the process. Bechira is part of was one of the elements that's necessary for the process. Yeah, yeah. But does he want the process only if the soul succeeds? The soul succeeded already. You're saying it as as somebody who's trapped in temporal thinking. Mm-hmm. Will the soul succeed? It does. We already know the end of the book. Then how is it just mere potential? Because it needs to happen down here. And that's what Hashem is looking for. He's looking for the process taking place in the limits of time and space. Well, Bechira is what gives dramatic tension to the whole thing, even though we all know how it ends. But meaning, if you choose... You know, you ever read a classic novel? Everyone knows how they end. (laughs) But a great writer knows how to create dramatic tension, even though we know the end. What's the end? That every soul, like, had an aliyah? Every soul has an aliyah. Yeah, well, you've learned enough here that, you know, the ultimate purpose is not blissing out in Gan Eden. The ultimate purpose is the perfection of the physical world. Yeah, but... And ultimately, we accomplish that. And ultimately, not only we collectively accomplish that, but ultimately, every individual soul is not just part of it, but an indispensable part of it. We all succeed in the end. Everybody passes this class. Everybody. Everybody ultimately takes the class and gets an A. If not in this lifetime, then in another, however many lifetimes it takes. So what's the work? The work, the process. The process is showing up in the embodiment and not allowing embodiment to distract us knowing that the entire purpose of the embodiment was only to enhance our, our connection to Hashem, not to take us away from it. What if you're not Jewish and you don't have to learn Mitzvah? What? I said, what if you're not Jewish and you don't have to learn any Mitzvah? So, I mean, this is specifically describing the Jewish journey, what the Jewish soul has to do. Um, but, you know, I mean, in a very broad way, I can answer the question, you're saying, well, what about if you're not Jewish, you don't have Torah mitzvahs? Yeah, but non-Jews also have Torah mitzvahs. They're just not bound to all 613 commandments. They're bound to seven commandments. And in the end, we do believe that there are going to be a lot of non-Jews around after the world is perfected, and they're going to be living purposeful lives according to the seven Noahide laws. They're going to be good, ethical monotheists, and they know they're not going to have to put on tefillin or keep kosher or keep Shabbos. But what we're describing here is, is uniquely the Jewish spiritual experience. Yeah. You're, you're saying how much of this 
is, what are you really saying? It just sounds like you're describing two different, two totally different, like they're not even interconnected. One has got the souls already here, it's embodied, so already it's processed, it's Mount Malia, great. Then you're, you're doing God's will yeah. in this world, you're being misapping because that's what God wants. But yeah. So where's the connection between the soul and that? You're saying, how do we take these beautiful ideas and make them fit into regular Orthodox Judaism? This is regular Orthodox Judaism. <laughs> this is just explaining what all the mitzvahs that we do are actually about. Why did Hashem make it a process? Why didn't he just do, do this whole thing? Yeah, why did he make a process? But we already answered that. Pleasure. So, why, what's, the, what's the deal with the love story? Why the drama? Ultimately, the only true pleasure is Hashem's pleasure. And the more we are aligned with our true selves, the more we feel that pleasure. How do I find you? The first step is to even learn stuff like this, to start to wrap your head around the idea that there is such a thing as divine pleasure, that Hashem is getting pleasure from you right now, and then, as that idea starts to seep in, you may actually start to also feel some of that pleasure. All right, let's, let's finish off this chapter over here. V'zahu, this is answer, we need to answer a question somebody asked. Somebody asked, why does it say, Nishma Sem Shal Tzadikim? Who asked that? It was a good question, right? Well, it gets answered in the Mimer, so it must be a good question. Okay. In brackets. This is also why the Medrash says, with whom did he consult? He consulted with the souls of the Tzadikim. Why the Tzadikim? That at that stage, when he was still just consulting with them, so to speak, meaning before the process actualized, then their ascent was only potential and not yet actualized. He knew that they would succeed, but they hadn't yet actually succeeded. So at that level, they're still only tzaddikim. I added the word only. He doesn't say here the word only. But we all know from the previous chapter that Balchuva is higher than tzaddik. So who did he consult with? The tzaddikim. That means when they were only tzaddikim. Because they hadn't yet underwent the process. They didn't fulfill the potential. But then after they actually come down here and have the embodiment experience, and they actually do what Hashem already knows they're going to do, but they didn't yet do it. After that happens, then they become Bali Tshuva. So the process of becoming a Balchuva from a tzaddik is makes it all worth it. Now that's the Tainuk. He takes tzaddikim and he makes them Balichuva. He takes people who are goody goodies and he gives them some scars. He gives them some experience. And they become much more enjoyable than than just uh, 
tzaddikim who are perfect because they were made to be perfect. The scars as in pain and suffering? The scars could be pain and suffering. The scars could just be, be work calluses. Could just be... You do a lot of work and you, you build up some tough skin. Although some scars, yeah, are from wounds. We don't romanticize that. We're not looking for the wounds. But it's some, some of our stories include some wounds, yeah. Yeah. Well, v'yamich kolam tzedikim is actually it's, it's a pasuk, but uh, yes, that, that this is a re- that's a related concept. That ultimately, in our source, amich kolam tzedikim, they're all tzedikim, but then through embodiment, they all become bali tshuva. Right. So when we're talking about spiritual uh, wounds, we have to understand what that means because the soul actually is impervious to all that. It's not, yeah, it can't be damaged. The manifestations of the soul can be damaged. Well, you know, there are levels of the soul that sort of animate uh, different layers or levels of our humanity. And when we misuse those, layers or levels of the soul, they, they, become, uh, they become disfigured. So if you use your spiritual energy that enlivens your behaviors to misbehave, so it causes damage. But the, the real essence of the soul doesn't get damaged. Can't be, can't be damaged. So... Are there parts of our ego that can seem and appear and identify as soul? Before, so how do you identify when it's root? Do you have my question? No. I, yeah. You understand the question? I, yeah. Say it. I think that it's hard to differentiate between the senses or between, um, you know, misread either spirituality or maybe trauma or anything like that that almost feels as real as the neshama. Like, so it's hard to differentiate. Rabbi Taub said that we don't get wounded, but sometimes we, we, we hate the behaviors. I missed, I missed, didn't understand fully, like, we could use the behaviors that tamper with, and I'm like, hold on. There are levels. There are levels. There are levels that can be damaged and then can be healed. If they can be damaged, they can be healed. Souls. Yeah, levels of the soul. Damaged by outside of our soul. Well, really, ultimately, we're the only one who could damage ourselves. But that's not the point. Don't even get hung up on that. The point is, the essence of the soul is impervious to any type of damage. It's completely, um, is the word uncorruptible, or is it incorruptible? You have to Google it for me. That's how Yom Kippur works. The Yechida, the essence of the soul, comes out. And that was never affected by anything that we did. So what are we doing Teshuvah for? We're not doing Teshuvah the way you're thinking of Teshuvah. Teshuvah is not, you were bad, stop being bad, start being good. Teshuvah was, I missed you so much, you went away from home, and now you've made it all the way back here. And now we're closer than when you left. 
So the soul takes a journey <clears throat> in order to ultimately become closer. That's the Aliyah. The Aliyah is in the journey. Yeah. I'm not clear as to why the Nisayon of the Shmaim Rabin, how it impacts each soul. These souls are righteous. Yeah. Down. Yeah. Shmaim Rabin. Every soul has a different response based on million environmental factors. Sure. So what does that mean? How does that play out? Because the soul is perfect. Anyways, it has the Bali Shiva. Came down, perfect. So what's the point of the Mayrabin, the Nisayon? But that, that's the whole thing. What is the process that it came down for? What did the soul come down here for? For an experience. Okay, what's the experience? Well, part of the experience is the Mayim Rabim. And going through the Mayim Rabim and not loving Hashem less because of it, but loving Him more because of it. That is the experience. And for the souls that don't experience that? Everyone experiences some form of Mayim Rabim in this world. Nobody emerges unscathed. The love? They don't experience the love? And I told you before, everyone succeeds sooner or later. We all pass this class. Everybody gets an A in the end. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't yet, okay, just wait. They will. We're still here in this time period as a soul. We still haven't reached whatever goal. Well, you did already. From Hashem's perspective, you've already finished successfully. But the consciousness that you are aware of right now is one that is locked into the limitations of time-space. So on the level that we're capable of consciously discussing, we're in the middle of the process. But the process has already been successfully completed. Because it already was. From it already was. Already in was. fact, Hashem, we're in the Hashem only created because the, the, the process was successful. He saw the process succeeding, he loved it, and then he went and he implemented it. You get a hundred at the end, right? And everyone is different. Like you said, we all have different responses, so we're all given a different test. And I look different for everyone. And it's going to look different for everybody. That's correct. Yeah, sure. But is it that our perception of what we're experiencing will raise us to a higher level in the process of being able to align with Hashem and therefore align with the pleasure and therefore align with the love of Hashem and therefore get that's a good description of it. Yeah. We're still in the middle of the process. Don't walk out yet. Is Mashiach the end of the process? Is Mashiach is the end of the process, yeah. 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 Everybody wakes up sooner or later. 